This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. This year I've had the opportunity to maybe empathise a little bit with kind of maybe how you're feeling being in a, in a new setting like this. So this year I've had two opportunities to go to what's, um, what's been called naming ceremonies. Never been to a naming ceremony before. Uh, they were quite different. So I went to one this week which was a, a Nigerian naming ceremony and it was quite literally does what it says on the tin. We arrived and we did not know the name of the baby and we left and we did know the name of the baby. So it was quite literal. Um, the other one I went to was early on in this year. Our friends invited us along to the naming ceremony. This baby was uh, also having its first birthday, and we did know the name of the baby. That would have been weird if it got to its first, first birthday. We still didn't know the name. But, um, so we went along to this birthday party and naming ceremony, and the, the style of naming ceremony that they took was um, a humanist naming ceremony. So basically, very similar to what we did this morning, but just taking the God element out. And I'll tell you what, there are lots of similarities with what they did, and lots of differences, obviously. If you take God out, then it's going to feel very different to what we've done this morning. But I think what was, what was clear, there was things like promises, like we had this morning, um, the parents promising what they were going to do, the community promising what they were going to do for the best for the child. There were readings, and um, they're surrounded by the special people in their life, the, the grandparents and the close friends and family. And it was a gr- we had a great time. But what would say, in terms of my reflection, in terms of what was probably the biggest similarity between what went on in that humanist naming ceremony and what went on this morning in the dedication, is I'd argue that all four parents this morning and the, t- and the parents of the, of the uh, child that we, uh, we went along to the naming ceremony before all share the same desires, the same two desires, which are, one, they want to be the best parent that they can be for their child. And two, they want the child to have the best life that they can have. And so I think they all pretty much agree on that. And I think, I look around the room, and myself speaking as well, I feel that is the same desires for myself. I want to be the best parent I can be, and I want my children to have the best life that they can have. I think I, I, I had no qualms with the fact that there was a, a, a humanist name of something, because I think, actually, it, it was real integrity. They didn't just do a christening or or a dedication, just because that was a done thing to do, and in a Christian nation, actually, that they thought, we want to do what we believe is the best for our child. And so I, I, totally, I totally back that. So, we generally would agree that most parents want to be the best parents they can be. And we generally would agree that we, uh, parents want the best lives for their child. I think, for those of you who know me a little bit better, know, know me what I do for my day job, um, I'm a social worker, uh, I was expecting maybe a few grumblings or boos, so thank you for being nice there. Um, I'm actually one of the, I, I like to see myself as one of the good guys in terms of social work. So I work specifically within children's social care. Um, I work with 16 and 17 year olds who are at risk of being homeless. And so we come in, when we get a referral, we come into the family and we try and do what we can to, first of all, prevent family breakdown, keep the child within the family, 
or what we try and do is keep them off the streets. So that's fairly good. We don't, I could probably get a cheer for that rather than a boo. <laughs> but what I find with the parents that I meet in the families is by the time these kids are 16, 17, actually they're not communicating the same two desires which we all agree with here. I get some parents who are at the point where they've just given up. They're, they're, this child is too much for me, get them out of my house. I get parents who say, we've done nothing to deserve this. Kind of communicating, we've been the best parent that we can be, and yet our child is like this. And probably the most extreme kind of thing that parent kind of say, parents say to me, which I've had more than one occasion, in fact I feel it's happening more common now than I'd like, is they say, oh they're a devil child, they've always been in trouble. And, and so I think, surely these parents started off with the same opinion. They started off thinking, we want to be the best parents we can be, and we want our children to have the best life that they can have. But somewhere along the line, something's changed, and now they're no longer sure whether that's definitely how they feel. So what's changed for these parents? What's happened with them? What's, what's made them change their opinions on these two desires? Well, let me read to you a quote from Brené Brown. Brené Brown, she's uh, become famous for doing TED Talks. I think one of her talks is in the top five most viewed um, talks in, online. Uh, she says this about parenting. She says, ironically... Parenting is a shame and judgment minefield, precisely because most of us are wading through uncertainty, self-doubt, uh, when it comes to raising our children. So she made this reflection on, on how we as parents parent in our society. I think what she's kind of picked up on is there's this huge pressure on parents to be the perfect parent. This huge pressure that sometimes we put on ourselves, sometimes we feel it from just the people in our community feeling like, oh, you can, you can be the best parent, you can, you can be the perfect parent. So, it's this, I mean, we all agree that we want to be the best parent, but that's to be the best parent we can be, rather than I'm going to be the best in terms of that competitive nature. And so what happens is, when we, uh, when we aim to be the best, we want to prove it and show it, so with the whole social media world, we plaster all these great things as parents that we do, and we tend to avoid the the pooey nappies that go everywhere. We tend to avoid the, the outbursts in the middle of the night, but actually we, we present these great things online and people think, ah, oh, that's what the perfect parent looks like. We have this pressure to provide the best and the newest. Uh, so again, some of the families I work with um, that come from a real diverse background, but some of them are fairly poor and they're buying the most expensive buggies and I think, ah, oh, what are you doing? But that's the pressure that people feel. We feel the pressure as parents to protect our kids from harm, protect them from uh, setbacks, protect them from things that are going to challenge them to a point that we're going to feel it's going to hurt them. We feel this pressure to, to always be comparing with others. You know those conversations where you say, oh babe, that kid over there, do you see what they're doing? Why, why is our kid not doing that? Are they broken? Like, you, you, you get that sense of constantly saying, oh what, why is our kid not matching up with that one? Or our kid's doing much better than that one. And we just do that in as parents in the society again and again. And on the back of that then, what happens is we become quite touchy and quite um, sensitive if someone comes along and says, you know what, you're not, you're not quite parenting right. I mean, what would you do if someone came up to you in the street or, you know, when your kid kicks off in the, in the shop and you can just get this sense of a glare from people around you on an aeroplane. Who's taking a kid on an aeroplane here? 
I haven't had that privilege yet, but you hear stories about it when kids kick off on airplanes and you get all those people turning around thinking, why would you bring a kid in an airplane? But you feel that sense of people judging you about your decisions you make as parents and, and what, you, what you decide to do, and you think, ah, it's a tough, tough environment to parent well and not feel those pressures. So we set ourselves uh, standards, whether we, whether we set them ourselves or whether society sets them for us, standards that we're going to meet as parents, and we think, this is what we want to do. What happens when we don't meet those standards? What happens when our kids mess up? Or their lives don't turn out quite as we planned or hoped? How do we respond? And if you're sitting here today and, you, and you're not a parent, well, I think actually this is true for pretty much most situations uh, that we get ourselves into new situations. So whether it be a new job, we want to do the best and, and get our career going. Whether it be new relationships and marriages, whether it be new social groups, or whether it be moving to a new location. We set standards of what we expect from those things. And what happens when those standards aren't met? Well, for Tom and Florence and Mark and Soph, this morning, I think what we can, I, I mean, from knowing them personally, what I can say for definite is what they're not saying this morning is they're not going to mess up. What they're not saying this morning is they're going to be perfect parents. In fact, what I'd argue is they're saying exactly the opposite. They're saying they're not going to be perfect parents, and they're saying they are going to mess up. And what they're, what they're asking and saying, they're doing the, a dedication publicly, is they're saying, we need help. We need help to parent. They need more than just parental advice. Parental advice can be great. There's loads out there. You, you chuck something into Google, and you come up with like 20 pages of 10 ways to be the best parent. Trust me, I did it this week just to see if they were there. And they're all, they're all over there. I read one which was like 15 quick ways to be a better parent. I'm thinking, quick ways to be a better parent? Is it that simple? But they don't need just more parenting advice because there's loads of parental advice out there. We can all give you parental advice, but actually that's not going to satisfy the, the desire to be the best parent you can be. In fact, what, because I know Mark Sof and Tom and Florence, I know actually what they're saying is, as Christians, they're saying they need Jesus. They need Jesus to help them parent. They need Jesus in order to be the best parents they can be. And they need Jesus um, for their children to have the best lives that they can have. But what does this even mean? What does it mean to need Jesus to be, to be a good parent? How does Jesus change parenting to such a point that these four people, these, these four parents say they don't just want Jesus in the, uh, as a parent, they, they're saying they need Jesus as a parent. What does that mean? If you could describe a character trait of what the ideal parent, the perfect parent, the best parent in the world would look like, I want you to just to come up with two, three, four things you think, this is what I'd want the best parent to look like. And don't just say your own parent, that's cheesy. <laughs> What, what kind of things you, would you expect from a perfect parent? Patience. Consistency. Kindness. Grace. Unconditional love. So we've all got an idea on our head what the perfect parent looks like, and actually they, these are good things. So the Bible says for Christians, those who choose to follow Jesus and live a life with Jesus, it says that their lives will increasingly evidence the following characteristics. It says Christians will become increasingly full of love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the key thing here is the word increasingly. Um, it's not that you become a Christian and for those who've seen The Matrix, it's suddenly like, tank, I need to fly this helicopter. And suddenly there's this download of, kind of it's all there. Actually, it's a process we go on. As, as we enter into a relationship with Jesus, these things increasingly come out more and more and more. It's a bit like when you kind of hang out with a friend and the more you hang out or, or partner if you're in a relationship, the more you hang out with uh, that other person, the more you start to just rub off on, on each other become more like them, you share the same jokes, that sort of thing. Except what happens with um, what the Bible says, it goes one step further than saying actually it's just like a friendship that you're walking alongside each other. It says actually that through Jesus we become children of God. It means we come into the family of God. It means we can call God our Father. We can call him Daddy. And I think that only really makes sense, or that's only good news, shall we say, if you understand what God is like. Because I think there's probably uh, maybe some people in this room who the feeling and understanding of what God is like is this big um, guy in the sky who's ready to point his finger and say, and smite you down if you do anything wrong. That's some people's view of what God is like. But actually, the Bible says he's full of love, full of joy. He's got total peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says he's the perfect parent, the perfect parent that we all desire to be like and want to be. And like any family traits, these, these come down the family from, um, from parent to child. I think uh, if you're anything my age or, or above, you, you know you get those moments in life where you suddenly think, oh no, I've just done what my dad always does, I'm turning into him. Like, you get those moments. I tell Vic, I'm like, oh, Vic, my wife, can you just close that door? I fill a draft. And she's like, you sound like your dad. Like, and I think, oh. Um, but that can be a good thing. Those examples weren't great. Um, I find as well, over the years, being here at God First, we have visitors coming in, and there's been a number who say to me, oh, everyone here is so nice. It's, they're so lovely. And I think sometimes the way people say that, I almost feel what they're saying is, it's almost just like, a complete chance, a complete luck. What's the chance of you guys all meeting in the same place together and all being lovely? Like, that, it's that sort of kind of uh, how it's communicated. But actually, the Bible says these are family traits that get passed down from, from the parent to the child. However, if you know any of these Christians, if you, if you, and I'm assuming most of you do, you do if, um, if you are visitors here, most of you will know Mark or so for Tom and Florence. Actually, if you really get to know them, really chat to them and really ask them questions, they, they will tell you, actually, deep in their heart, they know their natural instinct isn't to be like that. It's to be almost the opposite. Christians know that they fall far short of the, the perfect God, the perfect standards that he sets. So the Bible says that quite clearly. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does the glory of God mean? The glory of God means the standards that he sets the, the glory of God is the perfection of who he is, the perfect father, the perfect God. And it says we've all sinned, we've all done wrong and fallen short. Instead, we've been much more the opposite of the characteristics I said earlier. We're more likely to be unloving, grumpy, aggressive, impatient, rude, bad, unfaithful, hot-headed and lacking self-control. Even if we're not more likely to do that, we've all done it. 
actually, if we've done it even once, one of these things, even one occasion, then we've fallen short of that perfect standard. And the Bible's word for this is sin. And the Bible goes on to talk about sin, and it says actually the result of sin is there's a, res- there's a consequence to it, and actually that consequence is death. And that sounds a bit harsh. You think, actually, I haven't murdered anyone. I've just been a bit grumpy. You think, that? come on, that, that's, that's not fair. But look at it like this. Look at it a bit more like a maths equation. The Bible also says that God is life. So you've got God over this side, and he is life. All life comes from him and through him. If we're choosing to do our own thing, rather than what God asks us to do, we're choosing sin. And that, that's the definition of sin, going against God. And so we're choosing to go away from God. God's over here. So what that means is if God is life, and we're going away from him, then we're going towards death. So that's, that's the simplicity of what, what God says. So although it may sound harsh, it's we choosing not to follow God. So this all sounds a bit doom and gloom, and I get that, until we carry on reading the next verse. So, verse 23 said that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it goes on to say, and all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So there's good news, follows straight on from the bad news. It's not all doom and gloom. See, As Christians, at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God became human in in the form of a baby, the body of Jesus. And at Easter, we celebrate something completely different. Rather than we celebrate his life, we celebrate actually on the Good Friday, we celebrate he died. Why did he die? He died because actually he was the only one who was both human and God, and he was able to be that mediator. So where we'd separate ourselves, Jesus was able to be in the middle to make that connection. When he went on that cross, the sin that separated us and the death that we were experiencing, he, he came and took that death and on, and on the cross took the sin. So actually, for those who choose to follow Jesus can now have life again with God because Jesus has been that mediator in between the two. Three days after he died, he rose again. And that same, it's the Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that defeated death, is at work in us. So where we were experiencing death, he, now, the Bible now says we can experience life through him. And it's not just any life. Jesus said this, uh, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What does this mean? Well, he's saying life was created to be shared with him. That's how you have life to the full. Experience it with Jesus. It means to be in the family of God, a life in the family of God, and that you experience the family traits that come down of love, joy, peace, patience, so forth. There's desires that we all have. We all shout those out as what we desire as perfect parents because actually that's what we all want. We want to experience that more and more. And God is saying, here, this is how you experience it. This is how you experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Come into a relationship with me. So, this morning, what Mark and Sophie are saying, what Tom and Florence are saying, and what I want to say to you is to be the best parents we can be, we need to be in the family of God. We need to be experiencing a relationship with Jesus. For our kids to have the best life that they can have, they need to experience life to the full, which is to live it with Jesus.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.